Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, he's a great fieldsman, Philip Tuffner. He often falls over and he's brought it into his batting as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vaughan and Tuffers Cricket Club podcast brought to you by The Telegraph. Ben Wright here again, and I'm joined by Mike and Phil. It's a role reversal this week. The two guys have returned from their holidays, but I've made it out of the UK just in time to avoid some of the train strikes. In the world of cricket, Josh Butler is still awaiting his first series win as white ball captain. After squaring the ODI series with South Africa on Friday, England were forced to settle for a draw after the decider was rained off at Headingley. The result is a frustrating one for Butler, but he'll have no time to dwell on it. Up next for his charges is a T20 series against the same opposition beginning on Wednesday evening. Our guest today is a man who's held almost every role in the game player, coach and now esteemed broadcaster. Delighted to say we'll be hearing from the great Ravi Shastri shortly. He caught up with Mike to discuss his career, the current state of the game and what he thinks the new era of test cricket in England under the guidance of Brendan McCullum will mean. And we'll be discussing a record-breaking innings by Sam Northeast, who hit 410 not out for Glamorgan in the county championship. All right, so Mike and Phil, you are back from your holidays. I hope you're nice and rested. And uh, I think we, we crossed each other in the, um, in the air because I flew out to Cyprus last night. No, well, lovely, mate. No, I had a lovely, relaxing time. Can't you tell? Look at my lovely tan. I bet you're going to have some lovely weather. I think there's a heat wave on its way to your bed. <laughs> so put plenty of sunscreen on, mate. Phil, did you get much exercise on holiday? Did you get out and about in the gym? Yeah, anything yeah, lots, lots of walking, Mike. There was a nice gym there, so I was down there every morning. <laughs> <laughs> if, exercise is lying the, if exercise is lying around the pool, uh, Mike, um, I, was, I was right up there, mate. I was right up there. No, I had a very, very nice time, but it's great to be back. Looking forward to uh, uh, the, the rest of the summer of this glorious, glorious cricket. What's the, what's the drink you have in Cyprus? Is it Cyprus or Greece where you have that shot? Is it Ouzo? That's Is that Greece? Oh, careful of the Ouzo. Racky as well. Greece and Cyprus. Got, in Cyprus, they've got a very good lager called Kio, which I highly recommend if you're ever in Cyprus, order the Kio. And uh, there's a very good cocktail that's famous in Cyprus called the Brandy Sour. Oh, lovely. Very nice indeed. You'll be enjoying those, Ben. Enjoy, enjoy. But we need to crack on with the cricket. So, Mike, a frustrating start to life as captain for Josh Butler, levelling the series with South Africa on Friday, only for the decider to be rained off on Sunday. 
when they were searching for a win. Do you have any sympathy for him coming in after the Owen Morgan era? Um, Matthew Motters admitted he did not expect to have to re- have a rebuild on his hands uh, this quickly after taking over. What do you think needs to be done? I look at um, the start of Josh Butler's um, campaign as captain, very similar to Joe Root's five years as England Test Match captain. He's had no support at all. He's been given everything to fail rather than everything to succeed. Adil Rashid misses the first series, he's key bowler. He then has the retirement of Owen Morgan. Obviously, Owen Morgan retires to give him the job, but the kind of, um, you know, the the emotional mentality feeling of Owen Morgan leaving the team would have affected uh, the group. Uh, Then Ben Stokes retires. They play 12 games in 24 days. They've not had one training day, official training day as as, as a team and as a group. Um, and it's pretty similar to what Joe Root got as a test captain for five years. No support at all by the administrators, by uh, people looking after the game. And so far, Josh Butler's had exactly what Joe Root had in test match cricket. So um, I guess it's the, it's the way of the world at the minute because they're playing catch-up with a lot of the games that were supposed to play throughout COVID time. So they're trying to squash everything in so they don't have to give any cash back. Um, but I don't think it's been... Uh, it, it's certainly not a, a time where I'm looking at the, the white ball team and thinking, oh, they're really struggling and, and this isn't happening, that's not happening. I just don't think they've had the system or the kind of uh, the schedule to allow them to... Because they have made mistakes. They haven't played anywhere near the standard that we would expect. But you'd want two or three training days to get one or two of those things back on track and get some of those players uh, hitting a few more balls or bowling a few more balls or getting that fielding unit working uh, as a unit in the training grounds. Um, so I don't think he's been given much help at all. So uh, I think it's very um, it's very hard to judge him so far of what he's delivered. He'll get judged in a few months' time in the T20 World Cup and obviously in a year and a half's time at the 50-over World Cup. But his scheduling for his team will be very, very important. So the administrators need to help him out. Mike, everyone thought that it was going to be quite a seamless sort of transition, didn't they? You know, Josh Butler, OK... Owen Morgan moves aside. They've got the new coach as well. How do you go into a dressing room, even if you've been there, you know, and you're one of the best players, white ball players in the world and everything, how do you then try to stamp your own authority on something like, like, you know, like the team and what have you? What will he be looking to do? Because it has been a little bit sort of confused and a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I mean, he's just got to be himself. He has captained in the past and he's done it well. So he's just got to be himself. But once you're the official full captain, um, every ounce of every minute that you are around the group, you're being watched, you're being studied. Everyone's looking to see, are you different? Are you acting differently to when you were the standing captain to when you were just the player? Um, I always say in captaincy, you have to have that moment in front of the group where you dictate exactly what you expect. Ooh. You have to have that moment where you say to the team, this has been Owen's time, now it's my time, uh, and this is exactly what I expect from all of you. And it might be different to what Owen Morgan did. It might be the same, I'm not too sure, but Josh Butler needs to have a moment where he gets the whole team together and he sends the messages to say, this is the style that we're going to play. This is the kind of mentality that we need. This is exactly what I expect of you. Uh, but I also I want you to be yourselves as well. So, um, you know, he may have had that moment. He might have had that kind of speech in front of the group. But um, I, I do look, I mean, there's one decision that was made at Old Trafford where Joe Root went to number four and Phil Salt went to number three. And understandable, that got quite a bit of criticism. I, I just don't think you ever shift Joe Root from number three. I just don't understand why you'd ever want to move 
Joe Root from that number three position in 50-over cricket. Uh, yes, it was a bit reduced because of the rain, but I just think if he's in the 50-over game, even if it gets reduced, he has to bat at number three. Um, other than that, there's been a bit of swapping and changing. You've got to think there's no Mark Wood, there's no Jofra Archer, Adil Rashid didn't play against India. Ben Stokes is out of the way. So I think Matthew Mott said he, he didn't realise there was going to be so much of a rebuilding job so soon into his yeah. his reign as, as England coach. I don't think there's a rebuilding job, Phil. I honestly don't. I, I think there's enough there to make England very, very powerful and continue to be very, very powerful in white ball cricket. You talked you talked about the number of bowlers that are missing, but actually the bowling's been pretty good. Um, and to Reece Topley in particular, well, you mentioned Rashid, he had he bowled well in that uh, truncated game. Um, it seems to be the batting that's misfiring. So how how will we um, how will England sort that out? Yeah, just a quick question. Just, sorry, just a quick uh, an answer about the bowling. I think you're right. I think they've done done wonderfully well. Delighted for Reese Topley as well. Had all that history of injury and worry, and is he going to get back into the side? I think that I think at this stage. People have now got, as we were talking about Josh Butler, sort of really help him out a little bit and stick their hands up and say, well, listen, I'm going to really kind of look to cement myself in this side and make me undroppable. And I think Reese Top has come in and done that wonderfully well bowled, really well bowled with good pace, good hostility. Um, and uh, as you say, the likes of all the other bowlers that have done pretty well with the batting. I think they've just got to help the skipper out and just say, right, listen, you know, You've asked me to do this role and this is what I'm going to do and hopefully it will take care of itself. Listen, they've, they've got so much talent in that batting array. You know, they've got to get the balance of the side right and then, as Mike was saying, just let them go and go and do their thing. But it does take a little bit of time. Even if they're, 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 they're fantastic, they've got such a deep pool of players to pick from, this is the time where they've got to help him out a little bit as well. Make that transition as easy as possible. Yeah, but I, I think what's happened is that if, if you look at test cricket, um, the red ball for the last five, six, seven years has done plenty. And to try and play the expansive game against the moving ball is very, very difficult. And in the white ball game from 2015 right through to the World Cup in 19, the white ball has done nothing in the UK. So it's allowed them to play that expansive fashion. This year, it's been roles reversed where the red yeah. ball's not done anywhere near what it has been doing. And the white ball, for whatever reason, has done a lot more than what it has been doing for the last few years. And I think the one area of, of England's white ball team that I, I think can be improved, and that, that goes back to when they won the World Cup as well, is I don't think they can be one a one-trick pony. You know, I, I think they can assess conditions. And, and I think, you know, particularly over the last few weeks, they've tried to play that aggressive style every single game. Well, necessarily 280, 300 maximum has been you know, a huge score in the conditions that they've been batting in this year. You know, three years ago, it was 400, 350, 400, because the ball was doing absolutely nothing. You know, if you look at England's kind of bedrock of success, it's been opening partnerships, Joe Root really consistent at three, and it lies the firecrackers to come in to exploit the last 20 overs. You know, England consistently been losing three and four early wickets because they've been going so aggressive against the moving ball too soon. Um, so the one thing that I think Joss could improve upon in this team and this group is just be reasonable and, and take egos out of it and, and understand that when the ball is swinging and seeming, it might only be for eight overs. Just see it off. Mm. Just get rid of it because then you've got 42 overs of, of the ball not doing as much and you'll still score 300, 320 because you've got the power. But don't allow the opposition three or four early wickets because that is the only way we play. Yes, if it doesn't do anything, be aggressive and have the mindset 
to be aggressive from ball one. But if the ball starts swinging around a bit and seeming, I think it's more reasonable and, and smart cricket to go, OK, it's moving for a bit. Let's just play. Let's just get in. And then we'll we'll maximise the last 40 overs when it's not doing as much. Yeah. It's an interesting point because the uh, World Cup final in 2019, the ball did do a bit and England had to be circumspect. Everybody remembers the uh, the drama at the end of that, but they actually had to sort of back, them, back their way through the overs to get there. So they, the, the last regime had that in them. This one needs to develop it. Yeah, a little, a little bit. But I, I think, you know, we've also got to praise the, the fact that for the last few uh, weeks, white ball cricket is, you know, it's under a lot of pressure, particularly yeah. the 50-over game. You only have to listen to Azim Akram, um, you know, who's getting rid of 50-over cricket. You know, and that's <laughs> created a, a huge amount of debate. I, I'm with him. I think something has to happen in the world game. Ravi Shastri, who's a guest on... This week's show, he's, he's wanting to get rid of bilateral series to allow these franchise leagues around the world a, a bit more space and also it gives players a bit more um, time to breathe rather than just cramming them with cricket all the time. But over the last few weeks, I've actually quite enjoyed the 50-over game because it's been a balance between bat and ball. Yeah. It's been a contest. It hasn't just been a... It hasn't just been where the ball run, runs in and the ball just flies into the stand. The batters have had to think. They've had to work away. They've had to play a little bit smarter. Um, so I, I have liked the fact there's been more of a bit of a, a balance between bat and ball, Phil. Yeah, and I think that's the only way that it can it can work. As you say, with t- talking to Ravi Ashwin, um, you have to have those sort of, you know, mood swings in a 50-over game. You've got to have that sort of period of time where people have got to get stuck in a little bit. And I know everyone thinks it's boring and things like that. And as you said, we have been talking a little bit, is, is it going to give 50-over um, cricket? But I, I can't see it. I just can't see it. How can you get rid of 50 ODI Cricket, you, you just can't. But where, you, where, where, where are you going to play it, and how are you going to play it with all well, these leagues, all these T Twenty competitions? There's only there's only three hundred and sixty odd days in a year. Oh, I know, Mike, but I mean, you just can't then just go right fifty over cricket with all that sort of, you know. Uh, people still love it. Well, I do in England. I'm sure people love it in England. I mean, look at all the crowds that were there and watched the ODIs against South Africa. You know what I mean? So, I'm not quite sure how they're going to do it, but I think there is still space in the game for it. We were talking when uh, we thought that Owen Morgan was going to retire early in the summer about him leaving the, the, the team and, and giving Josh Butler space to develop his own captaincy. And he obviously has, but he is a, a pundit as well. And he's obviously there on the periphery of the team and around. Do you think that that's a problem for, for Josh Butler? No, it, sh- it shouldn't be. I mean, Owen's got to earn a, earn a living. <laughs> 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 he's got to go and work. So anyway, well, if it's a problem, it's the, the the only person that the problem is is Josh Butler because it shouldn't affect him. You know, he's a senior pro, and I'm sure it isn't affected him at all. He's just going through one of those periods as a you know. No, and I wouldn't say it's because of his captaincy. The team are, and I will state straight away when you're just on this conveyor belt of just playing, and that's all you do is play. Uh, every game doesn't feel like a big event. No. There's no build-up. There's no aftermath. You just get straight back onto the treadmill and you go again. You know, we, we've had it in in our time um, a long time ago where, you know, it, it was almost that white ball cricket was just squashed in and you just played the white ball games to get it out of the way. And that's what it's felt like in the last few weeks. You know, if you look at England since 15 to 19, white ball cricket was put right at the top of the tree to try and get them to win the World Cup. And I know Rob Keyes made the statement that it's all about the test team at the minute, but England have a good enough group of players across the board to be successful in all formats all the time. 
Yeah. Let's not just be a nation where we can just be a test team and then a whiteboard team. And although the test team needs a bit of loving, so we're going to kind of put the whiteboard team to one side. Um, we, we've got the structure, the coaches, uh, the players, everything around our game in the UK should be geared towards making sure that every format of the game is strong at all at the same time. And it should be. Um, there should be any, any reason why that should drop. But the last few weeks, it's been clear to me that these white ball games have just been squashed in to get rid of them like the old days. It's almost been white ball cricket. All right, just just, just get rid of them. We, need, we we can't we don't want to give our money back because of um, you know we've got too much money in the coffers. We haven't got that much left because we've had to pay so much out through COVID. Get the games out of the way and then just move on. And I'll give them that excuse at this time. Yeah. But if it happens again in a year's time when we're not talking about COVID and we're moving on to normal times, I'll be disappointed. And I'm sure that won't be the case, but. Um, you know, these 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 one-day series in the last two weeks have just been a complete and utter get-em-out-the-way kind of syndrome. Yeah, we've now got the uh, T20 uh, series against South Africa. Do you think the England will be able to uh, get, get themselves back into form in time for the World Cup? Yeah, I think it only takes a in the middle, doesn't it? You know what I mean, with the batters as well. Look, the, batter, the batters need a couple of scores. There's a few guys in that top. Uh, top order that need to go out there and get some confidence going again. They've obviously felt, um, you know, that a, a little bit left out, or they're looking over the fence a bit. You know what I mean in white ball cricket uh, at the moment, especially the fifty over. So they need to go down there to Bristol and just kick it off again. Get back into that rhythm. Get back into the swing. The likes of Jason Roy needs to really get out there and and start dominating like he used to. It, it happens very very quickly. Just to get that enthusiasm back for it a little bit, you know what I mean, to say, listen, they're coming to CBS, let's put on a show and uh, almost forget about what's going on in the periphery and just, you know, let, let, let's show our skills off to the world. And, and, and as soon as they, they start getting on that role, that, that comes back very quickly. Yeah, I mean, if you look at English cricket over the, uh, the decades, generally, um, you know, when, when a team's doing well, it's, you're looking at the captain and coach, the combination. You go back over the last 20 years, when England have had success, they've had really good combinations with the yeah. captain and coach. And you can clearly see that those two are very aligned and very driven and also have very good principles and of exactly what they want the team to be like and play like. Um, you look at Owen Morgan and Trevor Bayliss, yeah. uh, very aligned, absolutely uh, clear in what they wanted the team to deliver. Look at Ben Stokes and Baz McCullum. It's a clear message. I think we're waiting at the minute with Matthew Mott and Joss Butler for that combination to uh, just find a little bit of uh, camaraderie, uh, togetherness, whatever the words are. We're just waiting for that moment. And it's harder because they've been successful and they're, they're coming on the back of the whiteboard team, having a lot of success. So it's always harder when you're taking over a team that we're expecting to carry on with the success. It's easier when you're taking over a team like the test team that yeah. has been pretty much at rock bottom. Because you can see uh, clear improvement very quickly. Um, it's going to be hard for Matthew Mott to, yeah. to, for us all to see an improvement quickly because there's not that much of an improvement required. So I'm intrigued to see how that combination of Butler and Mott get this white ball team kind of rocking and rolling again after just, it's only a small blip, but just after seeing in the last few weeks, they've not looked like the, the well oiled unit that we've been so used to watching in the last four years. Yeah, it, it must be difficult for Matthew Mott, actually, as you say, Mike. But it, he was almost sort of brought into the role, wasn't he, 
just to keep the thing tipping over almost, wasn't it? It must be difficult for him to try and sort of stamp his brand of play because they've been so up, they've been up there so much, you know what I mean, right at the top of their game. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you stamp your authority and, and your brand on a team that are the world champions? Yeah, I know. I know. But ultimately, they're not the world champions in T20 cricket. They lost in the semi-finals to New Zealand. So, you know, I think, and, and clearly the World Cup uh, is uh, the T20 World Cup this year. Uh, I think he's got to stamp his kind of method yeah. onto the T20 team because he can sell a lot of improvement to the T20 team because, you know, they, they, they lost a semi-final to New Zealand. They should have won easy. Their death bowling was poor. And it's the yeah. death bowling that's yeah. been a, a problem for the T20 team for a while. So there's improvement there. Um, I, I guess with the batting and, and, and it's more about combinations of where people bat, we could see a difference there in the T20 game. But I think he could stamp his authority quite, quite, quite hard on the T20 team. The 50-over team... Um, you know, that's almost like you, you wait a few more months before you start giving that a bit of love. And it's all about trying to make sure that England arrive in Australia with a chance of winning the T20 World Cup. And, you know, Matthew Mott knows conditions down under uh, better than most. Uh, yeah. I would think that's probably one of the reasons he got the role because of his experience of coaching around the world, knowing all the different conditions. Um, so I'm intrigued to see what he does with the T20 team uh, starting this week against South Africa. Well, last week we heard a very brief snippet of an interview that Mike did with Indian cricket legend Ravi Shastri. We're delighted to be able to bring you the full interview today. He's spoken at length about his amazing career as a coach and now as a broadcaster. He'll also give us his take on the future of the IPL and why he thinks the England test side is in a good place with the combination of Brendan McCullum as coach and Ben Stokes as captain. Ravi, um, welcome to the Morning and Tuffers Cricket Club. You you do realise you've signed up to a team. This is a club. It's not just a podcast. You're in a team now. You know that. What what you'll like about it is we're quite social. Mm, so we perfect. we don't play many games. We just do uh, we do drinking sessions and we drink lots of wine. <laughs> now tell me, Rav, um, you've been a player, captain, um, broadcaster, uh, Indian cricket coach. Which one's the best? I think they all have. We all have our moments in each one of them. Uh, you know, when playing the game was probably the best because uh, you know you're playing for a country, you're playing out in the open, it's live. You've got things under your control, like the bat, ball. You know, and uh, you have the ability to do things. Uh, broadcasting is fun. Once you finish the game, it's uh, living in the moment. You know, trying to. Uh, add value to a picture that's already been seen by millions and, uh, you know, taking it from there. But again, you have a mic that uh, you can control. But uh, the toughest and uh, the most rewarding, the most thankless uh, of all the jobs is probably coaching. Because uh, once the team is out in the middle, you have nothing under your control. It's the players who go out there, do the job. You know, you can just twiddle your thumbs in the dressing room and that's it. You can get frustrated if things don't go well. You can be overjoyed if uh, the team plays to potential. So, and with it comes a lot of, uh, the stakes are high when you're coaching because especially a country like India, which has a population of, you know, 1.4 billion only, you know, you're judged every day of your life. Every day of your life, you're judged. You know, there are fingers pointing. If the team does well, you get the accolades. If the team does badly, you know, you get a smack straight, you know, 
you know where it hurts the most so it's uh it's tough but it's rewarding if uh, you know things go well Brother, how do you deal with that you know you mentioned the 1.2 billion you mentioned yeah. the the constant kind of media scrutiny uh, digital scrutiny online social media scrutiny yeah um how do you deal with that i think you've got to be you've got to have a a skin that's as hard as tough as hide and uh, probably you know really not look too much into it like when i was uh, the coach of india i really really bothered about social media or things of that sort i would just post you know then after that the trolls the polls you know i'm not bothered because one day you could be in a poll position the next day you will be in troll position so <laughs> you know that's all it, it goes with the flow so you've got to be tough you've got to know what your mission is uh, you know what your goals are over a span of time and focus on that if you're going to focus day to day as to what people say and what the people expect you're in trouble mm. And, how, and this modern era of Indian cricketers, I mean, their social media following is, is into the millions. They've got yeah. millions and millions of followers. How do they deal with it? Are they are they are they are they stronger? They got that thick skin that you mentioned. Uh, not all of them, you know. It takes time. So you must realize, compared to our time, Michael, uh, probably my era in the eighties, none of this was there. Mm. And uh, you know, it, it's difficult for the modern day player. Though having said that, social media is part and parcel of his life now. Mm. You know, you you got to embrace it, but embrace it in the way you want. You know, whilst you're playing the game, so that it doesn't affect you, because it, it can affect people. Let me assure you that you know people who like to look at it every day in day out as to what people what comments people make. If you're going to go down that route, then expect some harsh stuff and expect mm. some reality to kick in, and uh, which you may not like. So the ideal scenario would be when you're playing the biggest uh, games or when you're playing uh, at the highest level, try and uh, you know balance it out where you don't have to look at it every day. At least when you're playing the big games, focus on the game. Yeah, I mean, and, and let's go through. I mean, you, you're coaching. Um, you know, last few years, you've had some incredible highs. Mm. You know, so tell us a bit about the, the 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 highest moment that you had as the coach. I think uh, nothing beats Australia. I mean, to win twice in Australia. I mean, you had plenty of highs. You know, when you have a ratio over a span of seven years, you know, when you look back and you think you won, you know, close to 70% of the games across all formats, that's incredible stuff from the team. You know, where I give credit to the players to, you know, stay f for having stayed focused for that length of time to pull off results uh, across formats. To uh, that extent, with that kind of consistency, is remarkable. But nothing beats, uh, I would say, Australia. I mean, Australia is paramount because it's the toughest place to play cricket. You always go there as underdogs. You know, no Asian team had won there for 70 years, and then uh, you go out and pull off uh, two wins in three years, which is, which is unreal. Because to do it once is big, but to go back two years down the line, normally teams go back after four years. But to go back again after two years and to play that same attack, which is a formidable attack, probably one of the best attacks you will get in Australia, you know, to uh, beat them twice was unbelievable. And just go, I mean, the first time was, was the time when um, David Warner and Steve Smith were just a little bit on the naughty step at that stage. But the second time, everyone was there. Hmm. Uh, how, how did you do you, you one nil down you get bowled out for 40 yard at the Adelaide Oval how are you, are you leading that side to give them and Virat goes home for the birth of his first child 
How do you give them the belief as a coach to go on and, and turn that series around? First of all, thank you for adding four runs. It makes me feel better. 36 and <laughs> make it to 40 feels better. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I'll tell you what, we, no one spoke, uh, Michael. No one spoke that day. You know, I mean, what can you tell the boys? You know, Because I've never, we dominated the first two days of the test match. So that was the positive we took out, you know, in uh, subsequent team meetings. We took the lead. We were 40 runs ahead with nine wickets in hand. And uh, then next morning to go and you don't play and miss every everything you, uh, you know, you, you play at, you get the edge. I've never seen so much of playing and nicking in, uh, in, in an hour of cricket. An hour and 15 minutes, we were, we were smashed, you know, literally 30, I mean, 36 all out. You know, when people talk of wickets falling like nine pins, they were nine pins that day. You know, that went dumb, 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 you know, and before you could bat an eyelid. Before you could say Jack Robinson, you were bloody, you know, all the guys were in the hut. And, uh, you know, 36 all out, 80 to get, and Australia finish it before lunch. I mean, you you cannot get to a, I mean, when they say getting down to rock bottom, that was rock bottom. You know, two and a half, two and a quarter days, you're smashed after dominating two days. In one session, you're blown away. Now, what do you tell the players? You don't tell them anything. You know, just take the positives. We had a great dinner, a laugh that evening. You know, where I had to speak, I did what I had to. But then we took it up over the next couple of days. And then uh, Ajinke Rane had a very, very, very capable leader, you know, in the absence of uh, Virat, you know, Virat going back, that was a massive blow. But then to pick up the threads from there and then come back in that fashion, that too, in a Boxing Day test match in front of that crowd, was as good as it will ever get, you know, to come yeah. right back and throw the punch. And uh, knock out Australia at uh, the MCG was unbelievable. I mean, that really for me was the series because you know once you did that, the kind of belief in that dressing room was you know, you know we've got the number, yeah, we've got their number here. If we can just hang in, you know, and play some tough cricket, we could probably, you know, pull off another one. Yeah, and and then you go to Sydney. There's a bit of controversy around the game, and then you bat up for the draw, Ashwin. Remember Tim Payne giving a, a bit of chirp from behind the stump? It got quite fiery in Sydney, didn't it? Yeah, and, and, and that's what you expect in Australia. You know, the boys knew very clearly. I told them from the outset, you know, remember when you go to Australia, you can only improve your vocabulary. So, <laughs> you know, just be prepared for whatever you get. And, uh, you know, just give it back. You know, if one is thrown at you, give three back. You know, two could be in your language. Mm-hmm. One in their language, but don't hold back. You know, you're not come here to hold back. You're not come here to play marbles. You're not come here to fill, you know, numbers here. You come here to beat Australia, and the only way you'll do that is by looking them in the eye and playing, you know, as hard cricket you can play. And, and then you go to Brisbane. I mean, it's, it's their fortress. No one wins in Brisbane. I mean, you mentioned <laughs> Brisbane to Brisbane to England, Ravi, and we all start shaking. <laughs> <laughs> We've no idea how to win in Brisbane. And yet you guys managed to chase down that, that total on the last day with, with, with Washington Sundar, Rishabh Pant, just playing incredible cricket. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, nothing was said. You know, we just said, uh, I remember in the huddle me saying, uh, listen, man, this is the last day of the tour. It's been an incredible tour. Irrespective of what happens, you know, this tour will go down in history as one of the great tours, especially in the uh, circumstances you guys have played. You know, I, I told you at the beginning of the tour that, uh, you know, in uh, 
the conditions, you know, there's a lot of empathy that's going to be shown to you guys because of the COVID times. But remember one thing, in adversity comes opportunities. Mm. Now, this is the day. This is the last day of the tour. You know, don't worry about the end result, but just enjoy the day today. Just play hard, as hard cricket as you can. Don't give up. Just play, you know, normal cricket for the first session and we'll take it from there. But what unfolded in that last session of play was unbelievable. The kind of guts that was shown by Pujara, the knocks that he took, the bowling was fiery. And, you know, that attack, that Australian attack, my word, you know, there's someone like Pat Cummins. He's one of my favorite cricketers, uh, you know, around the world game. He just came into you, just tore into you, even in that last day of the series. Every spell of his had the kind of intensity that, you know, you just admire sitting from the outside. But our guys didn't give up. You know, Puji took the knocks. Rishabh was his, uh, had the audacity and the, uh, you know, spunk to pull off an innings of uh, that kind. And it was, uh, I mean, overwhelming stuff. And, you know, we were on the flight next morning and the penny had still not dropped. It took <laughs> a while. I think now the guys will realize, you know, six months, one year down the line as to what they achieved in those three years. Win in 2019, then pull off a heist, I would say, in uh, at the Gabba. You know, it was like, you know, desert, ro- it was like, uh, you know, towards the evening, towards sunset, you know, a serious robbery happening in a palace. And uh, the guys, <laughs> yeah, it was just, you know, guys storming in on uh, horseback, you know, stealing all the bloody jewels and disappearing. You know, it was uh, magnificent stuff. You know, great series, probably, you know, it'll. That's something I'll never forget. And, and did you did you open a mighty fine bottle of Australian red wine to celebrate? Oh, plenty, that? plenty, plenty. It didn't stop. <laughs> it didn't stop. It didn't stop on the flight. You know, in a, by the time uh, we were four hours into the flight, you didn't know where you were going. But uh, <laughs> it was it was one heck of a series there. Let's go through a few of the characters, I mean, uh, that you had um, under your control. Virat Kohli, he's just, uh, I mean, I look at him and he's like a Duracell bunny. He's like a a battery. (laughs) I'm going, when is he going to stop? How can he continuously be this energizer? Even though he's not the captain now, he's still the energizer out in the middle. Uh, He's always been. I mean, that kind of intensity is, you know, is unreal. And, you know, he's going through, poor chap is going through a, not the greatest of patches at the moment, but he'll come around because of his work ethics, because of his professionalism. I think, uh, you know, it's one, he's one innings away, to be honest. It's just that if the pressure is building up, you know, people want him to get runs every time he goes out. I think if he's just a little calmer, he gives himself a little bit of time, let the ball come on to the bat rather than going for it. I think uh, it's not far before he cashes it. Mm. But, uh, you know, he's, he's that intensity I've not seen with uh, too many players. What, what's that it like of... in the dressing room, Rav? What, what, what's Spirak Kohli like, like in a, you know, the four walls that we don't get to see? What, what's he like in there? No, he's pretty chilled. He's calm. But still, you know, he's like uh, that intensity is there. You know, when there's a big match going on, you know, there, there's that switch on button that's on. You know, it's uh, but when he gets off the ground, it's switch off. You know, he's pretty cool. He's pretty chilled. Uh, you know, pretty relaxed, you know, with things uh, that are happening, which is which is very good. And let, let's go on to uh, one of my favourite cricketers in the world. Um, and he, he was there with you in Brisbane on that last day, Rishabh Pant. 
<laughs> I mean, tell me, so I've, I've, I've met him a couple of times. Um, he looks, a, he, he looks, a, he looks the kind of player and person I want to be in the, his team. I want to yeah. play with him. I love, I, I love the boy, and you know, I just love the boy for uh, just what he brings to the table, you know, and you know, just what, like you would say, the doctor ordered for the modern game, you know, that kind of uh, exuberance of youth, that that you know, that ability to enjoy himself in the middle and express himself, you know, the way he does, is fabulous for the world game. You know, where people, he'll put bums on seats, you know, every time he's out there. And, you know, they want to watch him because, you know, there's something different that would, uh, you know, that can come out. And he's someone you've got to handle also, you know, pretty carefully because you don't want that natural ability and instinct to go away. It's just slowly but surely letting him mature on his own, like he showed on this tour of England with that 100 in Edge Baston. But otherwise... You know, you let him. I hardly had to say anything to him in all the years. You know, just once I remember telling him uh, in 2019 when he kept slogging Nathan and getting out Nathan Lyon. And, uh, you know, I told him, you know, you're one of those few batsmen before you go out to bat your 30 not out because the field is spread out. So just knock it around, get that 30 and then take it from there. And that day he got 159 at Mm -hmm. Sydney. And the next time I spoke to him was again in Sydney when he again slogged. This is 2021. And was out for 97. So after half an hour, I went into the dressing room. He was sitting there on with his head in his hands and, uh, you know, looking at the television. And uh, I looked at him. I said, yeah, never mind. You know, such things happen. The only issue is Pujara has hit seven boundaries in that half an hour. You know, so can you imagine how many runs you could have got there, you know, after 100? Mm. And I told him, Ale, you know, you're, I'm getting bored now the way you're getting out. You know, you're slogging, getting out in the same I'm getting bored. Show me a... A, a different way of getting out. Not, don't keep slogging. Do something worse than that. Do a reverse sweep or something like that. Try something different and get out. Don't. And he looked at me. That's an idea. You know, the, the eyes, you know, really flashed and said, that's a good idea. And lo and behold, he goes to the Gabba. Last day of the test match. Every shot in the book. In the chase. You know, everyone's heart jumping in the dressing room. He didn't care. He just finished off the game. <laughs> That's brilliant. And, and and for me, Jasper Bumrah, the best bowler in the world across all the formats. You agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I I think so for just the skill. I mean, there you know, there are one or two around. There's a Shaheen Afridi who's very good from Pakistan. But Bumrah, you know, for the consistency shown over the last two three years across all formats, you know, you got to give him the tag because he has this ability to change Test matches. You know, like he did at Lords last year. He did it at the Oval. You know, in in uh, in in the last series, and uh, and the skill that he showed again at the Oval, you know, in the One Day game was uh, fabulous. You know, to, to get six wickets is one thing, but if you look at how he got those switch six wickets, there was swing there, there was seam there, there was yorkers being used, short ball was used to good effect. So he has the whole variety, he has the confidence, and uh, what many people don't realize, he he. He can uh, suss out a batsman very quickly. You know, he he knows the strengths of a batsman and uh, can set up a batsman, uh, you know, quicker than uh, a lot of other bowlers. So he's got that good cricketing brain. Rav, I'm going to give you another job. You've had every job in the game. I'm going to give you the job of uh, the boss of world cricket. So you're in charge of the world game. Uh, what are you going to do with test matches, 50 over cricket, T20 leagues, T20? There just seems to be so many formats and not mm-hmm. enough time. What are you going to do with it? I think uh, the uh, main main issue would be, uh, I, I would say, is uh, balancing it, uh, balancing everything out. You know, I would, I would 
be a little careful of the number of bilateral splits, especially in T20 cricket. I would rather go the football way, you know, where uh, there's a lot of franchise cricket which can be encouraged, whichever country it's in, whether it's in India, whether it's in West Indies, whether it's in Pakistan, whether it is uh, anywhere, you know, it, it can be encouraged. And uh, you play less bilaterals and then you get together for the World Cups so that the emphasis on World ICC World Cup events becomes paramount. You know, then people look forward to it, wait for it. Meanwhile, T20 cricket can be played, you know, like franchise cricket so that there's more time then to play bilateral test cricket amongst the top six sides. I think two tiers are needed. Otherwise, test cricket will die in 10 years' time. You need two tiers, six teams at the top. You know, maximum six teams at the top and then six teams in the second uh, second group. And then you qualify. And those top six play against each other more often because of the corridor you've opened up for less bilateral T20 cricket and just franchise cricket. And that's, that's the way all formats of the game can survive. In the middle, you have a 50-over tournament as well. So, you know, every four years you play that 50-over World Cup. Every two years you can play the T20 World Cup and, you know, spread it across different countries and keep test cricket as your main card. Yeah, do, do, do you have any concern? I mean, South Africa have just pulled out the one days in, in Australia. Uh, to constantly... There you go. You know, th- that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, that's exactly. So what they're saying literally is what I've been telling you now is they're saying, listen, there's too much bilateral cricket. We don't want that bilateral cricket. We want, uh, you know, emphasis on domestic competition because it's the bucks. It's the bread and butter for our cricket to survive, you know, and, uh, you know, keep it going. So we need that uh, we we need that income to you know keep the game going, uh, and you play less bilateral cricket. So that's how I'm I'm not surprised with the way South Africa is thinking. I think a lot of countries will think in that fashion in the future. Yeah, uh, let's um, IPL two new teams this year. Uh, it, yeah. it, it, it's now just uh, uh, it's a huge. It, it's it's second I think to the NFL in terms of TV deals. Yeah. Um, where is it going to end up? So in another 10 years' time, what will the IPL look like? I think you might have two seasons. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. You might have a full competition with 10 teams. You know, it could go to 12 teams uh, in, in the future, you know, where the corridor then from one and a half months stretches to two months. And, uh, you know, if bilateral cricket is reduced, you might well have a shorter format of the IPL in uh, in the latter half of the year, where it's more like on a World Cup kind of format, which is like a knockout after a little while to uh, decide who's the winner. So, you know, all that is possible because, uh, and it's all driven, uh, Michael, by by the money. Yeah. You know, it's the demand. It's demand and supply. So, when the demand is that big for that kind of format, you know, you will be tempted to go in that direction. I mean, look at the digital rights this year. It went for 20,000 crores, where the television rights went for 23. So, it's you know, that tells you where the game is going in the future. You know, a lot of people want to watch it on the digital platform as well. So, you know, it's a it's great for the sport. It's great for the players. It's great for the people around the sport, whether they're broadcasters, whether they're, you know, whether they're people who work around teams. It's great for uh, the hospitality industry. You know, like the hotels were full again in mm-hmm. Dubai this year with the IPL being played, especially after COVID times. So, it was a massive relief it you know, it, 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 it's a, it's an industry on its own now. It's a, it's not a small scale industry. It's a big industry now on its uh, on its own. I mean, look at the guys who put in the money into the IPL ten years or fifteen years ago when it started. You know, they put in what they put in at that time. If they look 
if you look at what the teams are worth today, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Mm. I mean, no business in the world will give you that kind of uh, leverage, mm. like how the uh, you know IPL has got. So, and and it'll happen with a lot of other franchise cricket around the globe. Mm. The hundreds here cricket in South Africa, you know, the the West Indies League tomorrow cricket might go to the United States. It's uh, the big bash in Australia that's doing well. So, you know, it's a it, it's the way things are unfolding and will unfold in the future. Mm. Can I can I finish asking you about baseball? <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, see, uh, what I like there was you. You need you need two guys to tango, right? And in Ben and uh, Baz, they're the the right kind of guys. It's it's like people say, Virat, and you hit it off because our mindsets were similar. We were, you know, we wanted to play games to win, not to draw or just to fill in the numbers. We wanted to go out there and play to win. You know, in that you might lose the odd game or two. But in trying to win games, you'll win more games than you lose, mm. you know, rather than being scared of losing a game and, uh, you know, trying to play cover-up cricket. You know, we went straight for the jugular and we tasted a lot of success. So, it's similar with uh, with Baz and uh, with Ben at the moment. You know, you will have the odd hiccup one day when, you know, things just don't go your way and uh, you could be beaten badly. But then, just the fact that you're thinking in that fashion you know, opens up the dressing room for more minds to think in that fashion and then play in that fashion. And then it's it's a, it's a great way of playing. It's a, it's a great entertainment. And then, you know, it's a, it's tremendous fun. It's like, you know, you asked me, which is your best moment in uh, as a coach? It was Australia and then it was in England last night. Mm. To pull off those two games after conceding a lead at Lords and at the Oval was unbelievable. You know, it means... You, when you're thinking winning, you can you can win. So you were outplayed for three and a half, four days of the game. Last day you pitch up and you win the game. Mm. So you know it's going to happen with England, but you're going to get those off days as well. You know it's how you handle those. Yeah, you'll get the 36, you'll get the 40s, <laughs> <laughs> you'll get the 78 like at Headingley. You know, we won at Lords, then go to Headingley, you're blown away in a session and a half or 78, and then you know all hell breaks loose. But then you come back again and win again. So it's a uh, it's 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 a funny old game, but if you think positively and play to win, you know a lot of things can. Happen. Uh, and just finishing on you, Ravi, is, is this you done now? Back in the commentary box, is that where we're going to see you yes. now for the next few years? You're not going to go back into coaching? No, 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 no. I've done seven years. You know, I, I think it's time now to you know use that uh, what you learned in those seven years inside the dressing room, seeing the modern player's mindset and the way he thinks and the way the game is evolving to give it back to the viewers through the mic, you know. And uh, you did that for 23 years before you went on the coaching, uh, this thing stinked. It's time to come back and start enjoying some television. Yeah, again. well, Brad, we love you on the telly. Great character. Mm-hmm. Uh, welcome to the Vaughan and Toughest Cricket Club. We, we've, we've got uh, Ravi Ashwin as a spinner, Tufnel and yourself and me. So we've got four spinners at the minute. <laughs> but if you'll notice, most of, our, uh, most of our guests are very social. David Gower's been on, very social. Rob mm-hmm. Key. Very social. Yeah. We've got uh, a, a very a team that will travel to all parts of the world and have some fun. Right, well, that's the way to go. Get around the globe, you know, entertain people, you know, with whatever you have to say, and have some fun. That's again, that's what the game is taught you. Brilliant, Ralph. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, so great to hear from Rabi there. Huge amount of expertise in the game. Um, fascinating what he was saying about IPL, that it's uh, it's been great for everyone, great for the game, uh, and also has more room to grow, Mike. Yeah, I mean, I, I love Ravi. Uh, one of the great voices, characters. Um, 
Great fully comments. understand. Uh, brilliant, brilliant. And, and, and I can fully understand how he got the best out of that Indian side. And for them to go and look Australia in the eyes twice and beat them in their own backyard under Ravi was uh, extraordinary. But again, I, I get it because of the character that he is. Um, he's absolutely right about the IPL. Whether, whether anyone uh, agrees or disagrees, uh, whether particularly in the UK, um, CEOs, chairmen, county board members, uh, county fans want to think that the IPL is running cricket and dictating. It the is. fact of the matter is, it is. <laughs> it is. You know, you know, the franchises are now worth the franchises are now worth a billion dollars. As the Mumbai Indians are now in the UK, and and, and they're called the Reliance Team. They're, they've brought a, and they've brought twenty five players who are all young Indian players, and they brought two or three of the young South African players to the UK to get experience. And I met one of the, the youngsters the, the other day, Daryl Brevis from South Africa, and he says it's like a military operation. He says you get absolutely everything. You know, this Mumbai Indians franchise is going global. They're buying South African teams. They're, they're investing in the Caribbean Premier League. They'll want another window for potentially a Champions League. So at the minute, the IPL is around two and a half months. Um, in our lifetime, Phil, Ben, yeah. I would say, and I would be amazed if the IPL didn't take over four months of the year, I will be amazed. Because I think there'll be more teams. And I think eventually, and again in our lifetime, I think there'll be two leagues. I think there'll be a first division, second division in the IPL, eventually. Not saying at the minute, but eventually they'll get to a stage where there'll be plenty more teams that come in. Because of the value of these franchises going so high and over a billion dollars, it's now... It's, it, it's now um, you know, looking like a, a real investment opportunity. You know, yeah. there's a lot of high-end business people who are very, very successful that are cricket fans, but not necessarily huge fans, that are investing into the IPL. Um, so it's here to stay. It will get bigger and better. And I think Ravi Shastri is absolutely spot on. Given, given that it's here to stay, given that it's expanding, what do the national boards do? Because they can't beat them, so they're going to have to join them. So how do they accommodate the IPL, work with the IPL to ensure the greater good for the sport? Uh, I'll, be, I'll, be, I'll be honest, and maybe it's happening behind the scenes. Uh, the 100-ball tournament in the UK um, is a tournament that at the minute the ECB own the teams. Um, I would I would franchise those teams and get high-end business people and, and, and offer the likes of the Mumbai Indians, the Chennai Super Kings, uh, the Delhi Capital owners to buy into owning the 100-ball teams. You know, by doing that, you're getting a huge amount of Indian investment. Um, you know, the 100 would travel across India through broadcast a lot better than it. And it's already doing okay, but I think it'd be even better and bigger. Um, you know, whether people like it or not, the majority of money invested in, in cricket globally comes from India. You know, they're obsessed with the game. They're absolutely passionate about cricket. Uh, and I would be opening up um, potentially another another couple of hundred ball teams and I'd be trying to get investment from outsourced or outs, uh, I guess people that are necessarily not involved with the game at the minute to try and build franchises in the UK. Sounds like sounds like they're going to take over the world, Mike. IPL. <laughs> well, it, it's it's more these franchises. They're so big and powerful and rich that you know that they they could you know why why can't the Mumbai Indians own um, part of the Manchester Originals? Yeah, you know by doing so, you might get uh, a few young Indian players. You might get one or two of the the, the old stages coming to play in our league, which would be great for the the hundred ball competition. Um, 
you know, the UK is 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 a system where we're very traditional. We're, we love heritage, history. It's fantastic. I, I absolutely love many aspects of that. But if you want to grow, you know, you want high end investment, and you want the people that are running these very very successful uh, franchises. Look at the Rajasthan Royals. It's a it's a military operation. The way that the Rajasthan Royals are owned, and I'm sure Rajasthan would love to own or be part owners of a of a team in the hundred. And why wouldn't you want to open up that opportunity to to try and build your brand by by opening up that kind of avenue of investment to people? It it, it could be like a feeder club in football. The hundred <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> it could be like a crew. Well, I just think well, again for what will happen. What what will happen in time? And I think it's it's kind of happening now that you will sign a contract with the Mumbai Indians. Yeah, yeah. As a player, and 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 they will send you to their teams around the world. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. might be it might be that you don't get in the IPL team, but I tell you what, you get in the CPL team in the Caribbean, and you get into the the hundred ball team. But we don't have space for you at the minute in the IPL. But, but as a twenty year old, we're going to bring you through, give you experience, and we're going to hope and we're going to buy into you like like these Premier League football clubs do. They they loan out their players to teams. So why not loan out your players to teams that you own? I just think it's sensible. I think it will happen in our lifetime. Yeah, and he was talking about it expanding globally. He said it could even uh, crack the states. Do you think that that's that's plausible? I do. Yeah, I think it's already happening, isn't it? Miami. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in Miami, there's a huge expat um, Indian, Pakistani, uh, yeah. Sri Lankan community that are, are obsessed with the game. So, yeah, there's T20s that take place there. Um, whether it cracks America and it does, you know, I, I watch a bit of the MLS, the football, soccer, sorry, soccer. soccer. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and it seems to be getting bigger and bigger every year. Uh, whether cricket can do that, um, I guess T20 cricket has a chance similar to baseball in, 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 in a few ways, but uh, it'll take many, many years. But, you know, you're talking about, you know, 20 years time, would it be a real success in America at the minute? I would say that there's a possibility that could be a chance. Yeah, no, for sure, and that is the that that is the next thing that they will be thinking, isn't it, to go across there and actually try to crack that whole sort of uh, you know that great big amount of money over in America. <laughs> That's the next stage, isn't it? You can see that that is the next stage. You know, it's like Robbie Williams. You haven't done anything until you've cracked America. <laughs> you haven't. I tell you what, you you've done nothing in cricket until you get a hundred in Miami. <laughs> <laughs> until until you're on the honors board in Miami on that board, hundred Miami, yeah. Before we go, we've got to mention the county championship game between Leicestershire and Glamorgan oh, last week. Yeah. I don't know if you guys caught it while you were away. But the, Vo- oh, yeah. the Foxes got 584 in their first innings and still lost by an innings and 28 runs. Yeah. Sam Naughty scored 410 not out in Glamorgan's total of 795 for five. And then Glamorgan bowled Leicestershire out for 183 yeah. incredible scenes. I'll I, I, I tell you something. I mean, that'll take a little bit of time to sink in. To, for, for Sam Northeast, you know, because you're out there, you're in the moment, you're playing away, you get your 100, you get your 200, you get your 400, and, and records, are, records are falling everywhere. And you, you, and you, sort of, you, you kind of take that in while you're playing it and while it's happening. But that'll, that'll, take, you know, that'll take six months for him to actually sit there and go, I'll tell you something, you know, 
Well, well, that, that, that's, that's something special, that is. You know, that's up there with BC Lara, for record. Phil, 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 let's be honest, though. I mean, what, what are they doing, Declare? He'll never get a better chance to beat Brian Lara's yeah. record. <laughs> why, why did they declare to, just to get a win? Yeah. Who, cares about, who cares about the win? He should have gone for the record. Yeah. <laughs> don't care about beating Leicester, the Foxes. You want the record, don't you? <laughs> You would have been a little bit miffed. You're never going to get it, a better In fairness, the, the, the win meant that they went second, so it, it wasn't a meaningless win. But still, I think the uh, being able to being able to break, beat Lara would be uh, monumental. As you said, it's Is the it, third highest score yeah. in county cricket. Lara got his 501 not out uh, against Warwickshire in 1994. The other, the second highest score was Archie McLaren, who hit 424 for Lancashire against Somerset. That was in 1895. He's a good player, Sam Northeast. You know, back at you know when he was at Kent, very talented. Um, you know, to see him get a score like that is always you know surprises everyone when someone gets 400. But for many many years, he's been a he's, he's been a very well thought of player. So some of his shots, I mean, I, I think the, the, the shot that I saw him get to 400 was leg out the way, left arm over, launched over wide, long gone. <laughs> You're in a bit of nick by the time you get to 400. Talking of Brian Lara, uh, am I right in thinking that, Phil, you were on the field when he got his 375? I and then Hayden to- beat his record for a test higher score yeah, <laughs> and then Mike, yeah. you were on the field when he got he he then broke that record and got four hundred, right? Uh, yeah, I was captain. Yeah, yeah, I was a skipper. Yeah, I've always said it that Ashley Giles was the smartest man in English cricket history on the yeah. morning of that first um, first day because he, he pulled out with a sickness and Gareth Batty had to play. <laughs> 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 I served it up to Brian. I served it up to Brian with a few of the other boys for the three seven five. It was amazing, actually, because you could feel it sort of coming. And I can't quite remember when it was, but it was like day two and a half or something. And uh, you know, all of a sudden, all the police started, you know, going around the boundary edge as he was getting closer to break the record. You saw Cigarfield sober sort of come down from where he was watching and sort of get get ready and then all of a sudden I was at mid on and Chris Lewis was bowling and he needed I don't know a couple or something like that and Lewis turned to me I said he said I've got to let him have one here and I said well you may as well don't bowl him one on off stump that you can just sort of you know rock forward <laughs> he's been doing that for two and a half days <laughs> so it was a chanceless inning so Lewis let him have one and, and he's pulled it away to the boundary and the place went mad. Everyone jumped over the uh, over the sort of you know the fences and everything. People had set up sort of um, chicken and rice stalls on the pitch and everything. I, I, sat down, I, I sat down on the boundary's edge for about fifteen minutes. So Garfield Sobers came out and gave him a hug with a load of policemen and everything. Honestly, there was more people on the pitch than in the stands. We just the came. The game came to a grinding halt. I had a bit of chicken and rice, a bit of corn soup. I might have had a little carib lager and just watched it all unfold in front of me. It was amazing. It was a it was a brilliant day. And you look back on those kind of things, and I tell you, that three seven five could have been four thirty because that outfield uh, uh, at the uh, was it the um, the recreation ground, isn't it, in Antigua or something? It it, it was the, the grass was about a foot high. So, uh, 
it was like big, thick lumps of grass that that meant that you know the ball didn't go to the boundary. But I mean, what about Phil? What about the um, the, the DJ Gravy? DJ oh, Gravy was there. Chicky's Disco was there. There's Tuesday. DJ Gravy. I yeah. reckon DJ Gravy uh, across the three seven five and four hundred must have lost about five stone dancing. <laughs> <laughs> that, it was something special. That that ground was an amazing atmosphere. It really was. I mean, yeah, gravy on the sidelines and everything, and all the tunes. The place was. It was like a rave. It turned into like a rave. It was. It was yeah. something I remember all my life. It was fantastic. Yeah. Am I right in thinking, I think I read this the other day, that, that Mike Atherton turned to you when he was on about 60-odd? Yes. And said, I think he, I fancy him to break, break the record there. How, how yes. did he know? <laughs> did it have that sort of, was it that inevitable, how well he was batting? It was. It was such a flat pitch, and I'd sort of like started my spell. And as you say, you're right, Atherton was thinking of mid-on and mid-off. And as you said, he came up, he came up to me and said, oh, crikey, O'Reilly, you know. Um, Brian's, you know, batting well. It's a flat pitch, you know. We're gonna. I fancy he might break the record. I turned around to Athens and said, "Hold on, Skip. He's got another three hundred and ten to get." <laughs> but he was proved, <laughs> he was proved right, Athens. He's a very shrewd captain, Athens. He knows he's <laughs> a boy. He got it spot on. It's not very motivating, though, is it? Not a mo- well, very motivating well, chat for your strike spin bowler to tell him that well, he's about well. to serve up another three hundred runs. Well, there you go. I wouldn't necessarily say uh, I, I spun too many deliveries that day. I must admit, it was a chanceless knock. And I can still rem- <laughs> I remember Angus Fraser as well, big phrase. We had sort of like two slips and a gully, and he kept just sort of like gliding it through, through the gully and the second slip. And so Angus was going, oh, you know, that's unlucky. I got the outside edge. I didn't have the art to tell him that I think he's actually doing that on purpose. So then Angus started, <laughs> Angus started then getting angry and sort of said, listen, Athers, Athers, get the second slip. And I want him in a fourth and, or a fifth sort of slip. Plug that gap because I'm getting the edge and I'm, and I'm not having any luck here. So when he moved the second slip, he just put it through the gap between first and fifth slips. <laughs> and I turned around to Gus and I said, Gus, I think he's doing that on purpose, mate. But you keep going, big boy. <laughs> right, that's it for today. A big thank you to Mike and Phil. I'm off to have a lounge by the pool. Huge thanks to Ravi Shastri once again for his time. The three of us are back next Wednesday, same time, same place. If you missed last week's episode with Wazim Akram, I would strongly urge you to check it out on the Vaughan and Tuffers Cricket Club channel, along with lots of others. Thank you for listening to the episode and please do subscribe to ensure you don't miss future episodes. And if you enjoyed it, please do leave a review. Until next week, goodbye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.